Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, Y-E-G, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control. I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements, and uh, I stumbled across this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times, and it went really well, and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting, and I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. You know, sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So, you know, go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control, now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So, yay Vish, yay Creative Control. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, Please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Baron Vaughn is a talented actor, stand-up comedian, writer, and theatrical performer currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. Originally from New Mexico, Vaughn is a classically trained actor who has had roles on Netflix shows like Grace and Frankie and the recently revamped Mystery Science Theater 3000, and he's the co-creator and co-host of the Comedy Central showcase series The New Negroes with Baron Vaughn and Open Mike Eagle. Vaughn has been an active stand-up himself for some 20 years now. 
making memorable appearances on Conan and Two Dope Queens, among other shows, and releasing two albums to date, Raised by Cable and Black Existential Crisis. On Friday, February 17th, 2023, Vaughn performs at the Biltmore Cabaret as part of Just for Laughs Vancouver. And so Baron and I connected recently for a fun and insightful talk about American politics and meeting people from Edmonton and San Francisco, agoraphobia and racism, comedians supporting other comedians, how his theatrical background bolstered his stand-up act, the dramatic arts and wordplay, what he knows about Canada and what Canada might be really like, the state of social media, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 754 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Baron Vaughn with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Baron. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Vish. How about yourself? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Where in the world are you today? You know, I'm in a state of uh, panic. And Oh, you mean location? <laughs> um, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Is that a state of panic in a literal sense? We hear a lot about Georgia around the world nowadays because of yes. the elections and whatnot. Uh, very true. Georgia is an interesting state. I mean, I've only just moved here. And I am getting a crash course in Georgia politics that came from the state of California. Mm-hmm. Um, very different state, you know, very different politically. Um, I do live in Atlanta, which is, um, I want to say a haven, a safe haven in yeah. the state of Georgia. Although, again, um, there's good people all over, but the majority of them are in the rest of the state of Georgia. Yeah, I was trying to be diplomatic. It ended up being more insulting. Yeah, I've I've seen the Karnacki web, like the poll things where he goes through each uh, county, you know, during the Mm -hmm. elections. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't know that it was so I mean, I guess I should have known that it would be deeply read and all that kind of stuff. But similarly, I live in Edmonton, Alberta, moved from Ontario a few years ago. We are in a safe haven. Everywhere else around us is pretty conservative. We are the lone sort of left-leaning place. So I can relate to that. I wrestle with this, though, because probably, uh, like me, every once in a while you got to travel outside of the safe haven. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Or or those people come in to the safe haven sometimes because it's such a big city. Uh, do you ever get like weirded out by that? Yes and no. I mean, I try to be relatively decent to everybody on a on a face level yeah. you know what i mean i mean i feel like and also by the way i was just in san francisco and met some great people from edmonton so oh, great. now i i am i am feeling that i need to come to edmonton uh, <laughs> stat i've been to calgary but i have not been to edmonton oh so you know let's 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 make that happen vish i will hook this up i can probably make a call or two there's it's a small yes. place <laughs> make three <laughs> But the point point is just that, like, 
I'm still getting again used to it, and I'm uh, a miniature agoraphobic, so I mostly stay in. Yeah, and the people that I am dealing with that are not my family are usually people who work at the grocery store. You know, so it's yeah. like yeah. I'm like. In, I'm, I'm interacting with people, but usually it's very like limited and, and whatnot. So I haven't been around, if you will, at length, like a family dinner, you know, someone who yeah. I very much disagree with. Haven't had to have that yet. So you and I sound extremely similar in that I, I gather that you are, you say, were you agoraphobic or have, did you have agoraphobic tendencies, if you will? Yes. Prior, prior to the pandemic as well? Yes. Okay, which is interesting because I was going to say I, previous to the, pan- to the pandemic, uh, was a very outgoing person in my own way. I like to, st- I have kids mm. now, so it, that has evolved over the last decade. But still, if the family stuff was figured out, not uncommon for me to go to, let's say, three, four live concerts or comedy uh, events a mm. week, a week. I mean, you know, like I was contained and I had to control the situation, you know, and I would, I'd like to know that I could leave at any point. You know, I think I had that in me, but that has been heightened by this pandemic. So all I'm getting at is, do you, I would think the pandemic has heightened this for you on some level, even though you're a live performer and you go into crowds, are you feeling more of that? Like, I really don't want to do too much kind of stuff? Yes. Yes, absolutely. But even before the pandemic, you know, I am already a black man in America. So there's a part of me that feels like I'm already on the game show. Will this get me killed the moment I walk out the door, which is the game show that every black man in America is playing? Like, uh oh, are they going to think my wallet is a gun? Let's find out on will this get me killed? Yeah. But, you know, I do like to go to comedy. I'm one of the few comedians that. Like, I still like comedy. I, I tend to people who have specials. It's kind of like I go, all right. Well, I already know you're good. <laughs> like, right. in, a, in a sort of a sense, like I will watch people because I always feel like I have something to learn, but more so than every comic that's famous, I tend to like whoever's coming up. You know, there's something that's a little bit more honest, more genuine about their, their, creativity, like watching someone who's in process, still figuring out who they are. Like that's the real comedy to me. Yeah. But you know, uh, I'm a comedy nerd in a sense. So I still go to comedy or was going to comedy a lot before the pandemic, but generally, yeah, I like to stay in. I like to like be in my comfort zone. Yeah. Well, like I said, for me, it's mostly the grocery store. Yep. And if I have to go to some events for my kids or their odd thing where my friends are coming through town and playing a show or performing, I'll go. But I, yeah, I generally stay, stay in. Um, no, it's interesting to hear you say that because I was thinking as you were speaking about your excellent show, New, the new Negroes with open oh, well, Eagle. And I was also thinking about two dub queens as you were speaking mm. too, because there, are, there are, which I believe you, yeah, you actually were on that show, weren't you? At one yes, point? indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I was thinking about though is in comedy in particular, there's a generosity of spirit among certain comedians where you're going to have a show that features other comedians. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that's not something we should take for granted. And I feel like you must have, was that concept, uh, the new Negroes, was that an invention of yours or how did that come about? Well, uh, it's a combination of things. I mean, me and Open Mike Eagle were always sort of circling around each other 
in Los Angeles. I was a fan of his. I thought he was, I still think he's brilliant and hilarious and a lyrical madman. And so <laughs> him and I started, I was like, let's do a thing. You know, I, I think originally the first thing I did was in Portland, Oregon at the Bridgetown Comedy Festivals. I saw it was that particular year, you know, and this is a very like, quote unquote, alty comedy festival. I don't know what that means anymore. And that was sort of what I was seeing is that these spaces where I I was at one time earlier in my career, the only person of color were becoming a lot more diversified because there were these generations of comedians. So this one year there were exactly 16 black comedians. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I looked at all the people and I knew every single comedian. And I thought to myself, you know, if I did a quote unquote black show, none of these comedians would be similar. It'd be the most yeah. diverse. I thought I could do an all black show and it would be the most diverse show, you know, yeah. because everyone's style is so different. And that's sort of how it was born. Cause I like, comedians different styles i like having people who are saying different things in different ways in one space that's yeah. the truest exchange of idea that's why i like to create spaces for people to come and do that yeah and like i i didn't mean to maybe undersell the fact that it was particularly black comedians uh that's that is obviously integral to the concept of your show but i do think that there seem to be more and more uh, comedians trying to take a platform and spread the word about people they love that may not already uh, have that profile. And I thought the one of the ingenious things about having you and Open Mike Eagle, people who are prominent and well-known, I thought the shows were uh, put together in a way where it was a mix of established, you know, you'll have Chris Redd that people are starting to, at that time would know from SNL, and then you'll have other people who are a little more obscure. I just want to say, programming-wise, that appealed to me, that notion of here's the gateway, a couple of known entities, but really the point is to try to expose you to potentially aspiring or soon-to-be stars. Does that make sense? Absolutely, Vish, and yeah. I really appreciate you recognizing that that was definitely the, the point yeah. of the show, was discovery and exposure. Yeah. Is that something you... So, the other thing about something like this is uh, a comedian or any musician, whoever puts something like this together to showcase others, they've either, I think had someone help them in that regard, or they, they, they're doing it because they're like, God damn, if only this had occurred for me. So like this didn't happen for me. Can you speak to that from your own perspective? Did someone, and I, I have a sense of this from what I know of you, but Hey, you're on the show. Let's get some real facts. <laughs> did you have comedians? Wow. Did you have comedians that looked out for you in a similar way or is part of the conception of a show like, like that one? Was it like, no one did this for me or us. We should do this. Like this should be a thing. Well, Vish, um, that's a really interesting question. Very well perceived. Uh, I'd be very interested to hear what you have to say because I know what I think happened in my own head. Uh, <laughs> you know, some of that, which is wrapped around my own issues, but I think it's a combination of both, you know, more so that like I felt, you know, when I came to New York, when I got there, there was a, there was kind of a weird deep segregation, I felt like, between the comedy scenes. Not even just racially, but stylistically. Cliques. Like there was this idea of club comic. Yeah. And there was this idea of alt comic. And I disliked those boundaries. 
Um, I thought that I would go to a club and see people who I thought would be hilarious in an alt room. And I would go to an alt room and see people who I thought would be hilarious in a club. And so I always wanted to put shows on in which all of these people, again, were in one space, you know, and I was around comedians who felt like because they didn't easily fit into club or alt because they were interested like myself in being in both rooms, appealing to, you know, both groups of people, we started putting on shows together, you know? And so I also saw that there were a lot of people of color who were growing out of, or had grown out of just, I think culturally in a lot of different ways, whatever labels there were, you know, like you're a black comic. Therefore you're supposed to act like talk, like, you know, this and that. And that's not to knock people who, and I think back then I used to knock, but like, that's not to knock people who necessarily do that because I think that there's originality in there. That's why people copy it. Yes. You know, there were people who do that really well and that's why everyone tries to do that. But there's more than one way to get to where you're going to go. Yeah. And so even like the, the phrase new Negro was something that we borrowed from a movement of the twenties, a hundred years ago now that was about consciousness, you know, an expansion and, and breaking labels and boundaries. That's always what I've been interested in. And I've always been interested in people who want to do that. Yeah. I mean, in my academic study of the Harlem Renaissance, that's what kind of uh, reached me and my heart and my mind. Like this exactly. is any genre signifier is, 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 is a pigeonhole, but it's fascinating to hear you talk about com- comedic genres. Cause I think some people listening don't think of comedy stand up comedy uh, as having genres, the music genres, I'm looking at my record collection. Like you can, people are used to that country, folk, hip hop, whatever, but you have created and, and seem to be drawn to this notion that life is a carnival and a cabaret and all those sorts mm-hmm. of words and that there's variety and that's not a bad thing, but people like yourself, I think who, and again, I hope you can clarify some things that I vaguely know about you. Like, I believe your trajectory as a comedian is a particularly fascinating one because you actually are a trained classical actor. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, I am. So when people see your comedy, they are getting, I think, maybe more than uh, someone who's um, stressing or maybe not stressing, but you get the sense that they're a really strong writer. And maybe their delivery is not as performative. It's just jokes and it's coming at you and you're like, wow, that's a really sharp mind. You, I think, Baron, total package. Like you can, you're clearly writing and it's very funny, but you put, there's moments where you sing and you're like, holy, I'm like, holy shit. This guy could probably put out a record. Like he's such a good singer. (laughs) And then when you inhabit characters or scenarios, I'm there. I'm in the scene with you. So that to me is an, you are an example of someone who's like, fuck what you think I am. I can do, I can go this way. I can go that way. Is that a way of, dis- sorry, I'm ascribing a lot of potential praise to you. Let's stick to the Man, facts. That's, that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to stick, I want to stick to the facts. Am I on the right track with your trajectory generally? Yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. Cause you know, it's, it's always, I always say it's hard to, tell what color your house is when you're standing inside it. Yeah. You know, just to, just to be like when you're inside the experience, you know, I, but I do, I do think there's always been an, an intention to, to break norms. And 
like I was attracted to theater because of my love of stand up. Yeah. You know, I didn't know that stand up was a thing because all the stand ups I loved, I saw them on TV. I saw them on a stage and I was like, Oh, the stage, that's where I need to go. And so I, I moved toward theater and in studying theater came back to stand up, came back to stand up and recognize stand up as I always have as an art form and as its own style of theater and it has its own styles inside of it. I've always been a big proponent. And I think that we all need to get over ourselves and admit that comedy has been around long enough that there are genres. Yeah. There are all of these genres and our notions of comedy somehow tend to be very broad in general. I think it's because the people who have written the rules about comedy are the market yeah. and the industry more than the comedians themselves, yeah. you know? And again, people go like, well, funny is funny is funny, but we've, we've, in, there's been like, I think a very pointed intention to keep the conversation a comedy about how broad it should be or can be. But you watch a sitcom, like there's, there's different sitcoms because there's different styles. Yeah. 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 It's the same with comedians. Yeah, but interestingly, Sorry, no, I was just going to say, interestingly, like you were drawn to theater because of stand-up, I think you just said. And the mm-hmm. old model, I think it's gone now, but you will have more insight than I will. The old model used to be comedians takes to the stage, becomes a club comic, ideally gets noticed by, let's say, a TV producer, gets a late night shot or something like that. Then the conversations start to begin about from somewhere we can get this person to act on a sitcom or in a movie. The comedian trajectory is usually that. Uh, and I've talked to numerous comedians over the years who say, yeah, I, I didn't want that trajectory. I'm a stand-up. So no matter what, I, I'll do the sitcom for the money. I'll do the films for the money, but I'm a stand-up. That's actually who I am. Has that, for you, from your perception, if I've captured that trajectory, the traditional one, correctly, do you think that's still, first of all, do you think that's accurate? Secondly, do you think that still exists in this bizarre media landscape? I definitely don't think it exists as much anymore. Yeah. You know, we're, we're in the land of the multi-hyphenate. And I think a lot of stand-ups, you know, especially because they've, especially stand-ups today, more so I think than every other generation of stand-up, has now witnessed multiple waves of incredibly funny, incredibly famous comedians, incredibly talented. We've seen people who have defied, have had careers as long as Eddie Murphy, you know, or Steve Martin. And we've seen people that have come and gone, fizzled out, had a great sitcom that we remember that not a lot of other people remember, you know, had a really big following, couldn't crack this one. Th- so we, the comedy people, I guess you see, could say people who are coming up now have seen all of that. Yeah. And so they have an awareness of how to navigate, I think, the industry because the industry and talking about the industry, in a sense, is its own industry. Yeah. So it's like we also have this ongoing conversation yeah. about what can and can't happen. So I think that people are navigating it in these interesting ways. Now, for me, I think the idea that I'm a stand-up, which when I came up, there was this purism. I started in Boston. Oh, you did? And Boston, 
Yes, Boston was very, I've been talking about this uh, re- recently because I've been getting very nostalgic and talking to a lot of comics about <laughs> comics of age, if you will, yeah. about how and when they came up because I'm hearing all these great stories because it's like in my, my real life, I, I look at my grandmother now who's no longer with us and I regret not having asked her X, Y, and Z about her life oh, yeah. and what she had to experience. Yeah. And now there's this generation of comedian that I can glean this knowledge from mm. about this, about what they experienced. And every comedian has a story about, I guarantee every comedian has a comedian that they thought was brilliant that just disappeared. Right. Every right. comedian in the first five years was like, that's the person. And they just stop or something. Hmm. Point being that I came up with the purism that was about like what a standup is. And I think that that blocked me because I always knew that. And I got scared because I thought the other standups didn't take me seriously because I, I didn't have that purism, but I always felt like my, my acting career, my standup career have always been really separate. It's just bizarre to me that so many standups who end up in these, um, cinematic or sitcom sort of roles. I mean, some people knock them for not having the acting chops. Uh, and sometimes they get a pass for it or sometimes they play up their poor acting and it works somehow. You know, there's all sorts of people who have done these things, but they often get a pass. You have the interesting, I equate it to my, my son, uh, takes piano lessons, has for a long time. And every once in a while, there's some resistance. They say, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, I want to play a different instrument sometimes. They say that kind of thing. And Mm. I say, I say, well, you've been at this a long time. You are actually, you may not realize this. I'm trying to look to your future because I've gone through this myself. Like you might not realize that what you're learning right now is a building block for every other instrument that you choose to pick up. Uh, and, and potentially it's a communication tool. You can be in a room with people you don't even know and start playing and they'll communicate with you on their instrument. I've tried to put it to them that way. Uh, to tie this to you is I think you taking on acting. What I'm getting at is it's sort of a reverse course from the tradition. You weren't foisted into an acting role as a comedian. You have been armed and educated and have the knowledge to become an actor, which you are now. You are, you are an actor. You are an actor or comedian. So you, you had a, I think potentially you thought it. I'm not saying you did this deliberately. Somehow you're from the future. (laughs) <laughs> and you, you thought ahead. You probably, in a way, like I love comedy. Most Richard Pryor, all these great comedians end up leaving comedy to some extent to make their money with the, you know, acting projects. So I'm going to bring that to this. And then you take to the stage. And yeah, there will be the purists who are like, this seems a little theatrical for comedy stand up. Is that what the vibe you kind of got? Like these, this guy is clearly Stop. acting. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and, and sometimes that's from comedians and sometimes it was from audience. It depends on what people's expectation was, Yeah, you know? And so again, I, I, my preference is to appeal to as many people as possible. Of course. And so I, I try to, to do that, but I think that there is this training that I got from having to go to places where people weren't as, you know, into me as that. And that I, there's still something that I learned there. And I think that when it comes to my acting training and stuff like that, 
the stuff that I always brought in the comedy, or at least that I hope I brought in the comedy, was I've always been interested in themes underneath the joke. Yeah, yeah, yes. You know, yeah. and that, that these things need to work on all these different levels, because coming from the theater, that's how everything works. Your tags are often so subtle that I think they fly by people. They, they, you just say, you do a little callback of your own joke. And I think I've, I've, you know, if you watch clips of you on talk shows, you can see I'm like, that's fucking brilliant. Like you, you just, but, but people, I can, I can see the audience kind of tittering as like, Oh, I like they almost missed it because it was so fast. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I don't mean to, people can look this up themselves for the evidence. I don't mean to say this is a general part of your thing, but I, but yeah, you do little, you do little drops every once in a while, don't you? Like you're conscious of this language and, and, and. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like I, I've, you know, it's hard because I like, I do think of comedy like jazz. Yeah. You know, yeah. I do think of it like there's all of these different levels that I could be working on sometimes. And I like to, to write jokes that are sometimes just straight up jokes in a sense to explain that I can do that. Like I, I remember feeling like there was a time and I, and I feel like this is my approach is that my premise is the joke. Like the, like the regular comedian would stop at what I consider to be the premise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Like you get your, you get your set up your punch, you set up your punch, a couple tags, and I could just do that and let it go. But I want to go into this other place that takes the audience on a journey, you know, and even if they don't like it, they go, well, that's something. That's definitely something. Well, I do think that. So, we, for people listening, I think when someone is tagged as being theatrical, or you, by your own acknowledgement, come from a theater background, I, I hope people aren't forgetting that literature and wordplay <laughs> is really the driving force of, of acting. Like you know, so I assume that you've read a lot. Like a part of it, I did an English degree, and I could have done some drama or whatever. <laughs> I didn't mean to dismiss that. Sorry, I I have a weird relationship with the drama kids. I'll tell you that right now. Okay, but I, that's just me. I I had a weird thing in high school, and we were all like, some of these drama kids are a little odd. And I was a nerd. <laughs> and I, I we were all different kinds of nerd. And then you'd, anyway, I'm I, this is not a session for me. I just wanted to tell you that I don't disparage the dramas. I just, we, I have a weird affiliation or association with them. My point is, what was my point? <laughs> you have to study a lot of words uh, and uh, plays or whatever. I'm generalizing, of course. Is it fair to say that in your academic pursuits, as well as getting stage comfortable and uh, being a presenter, if you will, an actor on stage, would you say that a good chunk of your education was steeped in language, wordplay, that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, uh, a gentleman by the name uh, of Darko, shout out to Darko, he's a theater director. He once said that to be a, a director or an actor or a writer, you have to first be a reader. Yeah. Yeah. You have to first know how to read things yeah. and understand what it is. And so everything starts with the reading, you know, and I do like to have a lot of wordplay, you know, in, in my stuff. Cause I feel like that's one level. It's almost kind of like for the people who like the wordplay, that's there for the people who like the hard punches. That's also there Yeah. for the people who like the act outs. That's there. <laughs> yeah. It seems to me you're rewarding 
multi-layered engagement. Yes. Yeah, so it's kind of, yes, that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to do. Something for everybody. <laughs> Not always at the same time, but something for everybody. There's the language tourists who just want the whatever they get. And then there's the purists who are at the museum. I don't know what the analogy I'm trying to put forth is, but there's the serious people who are in on everything you're saying. And then there's those who are like, what? Oh yeah, the comedian's talking to me right now. I should be paying more attention. That kind of, I feel like when I hear that, I'm like, this is someone who is keeping their audience on their toes, which I appreciate. I just wanted to say that. Well, you know, I just uh, was saying to my friend the other day that I think that there's this interesting, almost like spiritual comeback to theater Mm -hmm. for a lot of comedians. There's a lot of comedians right now that are seeing or feeling and at large that like stand up is a little limp can be limiting and they're, they want to do something that maybe is theater. I don't know. Maybe I'll do it as a one person show. So they're kind of spiritually coming back to that in a sense. And so I've always felt like that's where I was in a, in a weird sense, you know, like, I always knew that there's theater and stand up and that there's stand up and theater, but I feel like the thing that stand up is losing as we kind of go into this clipification of stage work. The irony is that stage work is supposed to be of the moment, but the thing about the clipification of it is that the moment is now becoming a curated moment. Yeah. And the moment is the thing that stand-up is lost. Stand-up is lost being in the moment, whereas theater has always kept that. Does that make any sense? Well, I think what you're saying is, ideally, if people had any kind of decorum, they would be less likely to have their telephones up and recording a theatrical production as Hmm. they would... A comedian. I don't know. I'm not in the theater enough. Are people actual human beings with brains? Are they watching a play or a theatrical production with their phone capturing what's on stage from your, I don't know, experience? Have you seen that? Because it's not, it's what I'm getting at is in live music and now obviously with comedy, because some things go haywire for certain comedians because something's taken out of context. I know that people feel like I'm in a bar or I'm in a venue. I'm getting hammered. I got my phone out. I don't care if it's annoying people. Do you think that's happening in the theater? As oh, well? absolutely. I didn't know that. Okay, so people I've seen have. It. That's insane. Phones are phones are so they're so connected. But here's what's here's what the thing is: the phones come out when something unexpected happens or a spectacle. Yeah, right. A spectacle. So. We're trying to capture being in the moment instead of being in the moment. Yeah, taking yourself out of the moment to capture the moment. Yeah, no. I think this all came from you saying I like to keep the audience on their toes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to keep them in the moment. Right. And that's a thing that is missing, I feel like. Uh, Comedians do it. I'm not saying that comedians do it. I'm saying that it's becoming less valuable and less prioritized. I don't mean to misuse this term or diminish it, but as a comedian, you're, I think you're also alluding to the, to the fact that socially we all have some measure of ADHD. <laughs> like that's what's happening too. 
Like you, I mean, I see it with my kids. I have a Papa with my two children. Papa has a no screens at the table policy. And sometimes mm. my, my wife violates it with the telephone. And I say, no screens at the table. We are in the moment. We're eating. Uh, occasionally, I mean, I break the rule sometimes if basketball's on. <laughs> so the TV screen to me is different than the handheld head down. That's a generational thing. Uh, my wife's like, you grew up watching TV while eating dinner? I'm like, sometimes if there was sports on, I wasn't just watching Cheers while we were eating dinner. It was like, ah, there's sports. I was watching it. Dinner's ready. You go watch dinner. You don't want to miss the sports. What am I? I'm sorry, Barry. My wife can't fall asleep unless the TV is on. That's white noise. I mean, that's what they call it. I, I don't. It's, traditionally, most noise has been white over the last few centuries. But uh, <laughs> no, I. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. All I'm getting at is that's weird. That's an ADHD thing. The moment, even sleeping, my own contained moment has to have something else. We have a white noise machine. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not disparaging your wife. We have it. Because we've had children. Since we've had children, we've had it on so we can sleep. Uh, I don't know what oh, that I, is. I only, I only get upset because I can't go to sleep to the TV. I wait until she falls asleep so I can put on jungle sounds. Oh, there you go. That's what I can fall asleep jungle to. Jungle sounds. <laughs> That's what I can fall asleep to. What do you suppose that means? That's odd. Rainforest Sorry. sounds. Oh. It's like rainforest sleep sounds. No, that's different than jungle sounds. I don't think the jungle sounds like the rainforest. I know they're kind of the same thing, but jungle sounds is what you just did. All right. Rainforest. You're what, right. What is, is a rainforest sound rain? No, it's like there's there's crickets and insects a clicking and chirping and sometimes you hear the random monkey or the random just a low hum of some kind of leopard. You have a bit you, know? you have a bit about crickets keeping you awake and now you've got them <laughs> a fabricated version of it. What the hell? Anyway, no, we're yes. we're weird people. That's what I'm getting at. But yes, I don't know what to do about this situation where people can't just mm. attend an event Honestly, Baron, I haven't enjoyed going to the movies, I would say, in about 10 or 15 years, and I stopped. Uh, I mean, obviously, I don't want to get into it, but the movies can be very expensive. Uh, but no. I, I found people's, I'm going to sound like a, maybe I sound like a jerk, but people talking during movies made me, ins- <laughs> made me insane. And one time I was at a movie and it was like, I went to a matinee to see something and it was me and mostly seniors and the ads came on and the seniors and me were like, ah, it's too loud. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be the hero here. I go out and I find the manager. I say, hey, the volume's too loud. Like, it's just too loud. And they're like, yeah, we have that because people talk during the movie. I'm like, well, Mm. what does this mean? Like, they they admit it. We give up. There's too many assholes. We can't tell people what to do. We do the thing. Turn off your phone. Be quiet. It's not working because we're... Anyway, sorry. Do I sound like a misanthrope? I don't mean to. I like people, (laughs) but I get frustrated and I I withdraw. So at this time, as we're speaking, withdrawing from society hasn't been that bad for me because I'm like, most of my frustration comes from people. Do you have any of this? Well, I'll tell you. Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think it has to do maybe with your comfort zone with watching a movie like i i watched as a kid i would sit in my room and watch a movie by myself mm-hmm. right and so when i go to see a movie you know that's kind of what i want is to just kind of let it, like like disappear into it you know yeah. and just really go into it but i'm also studying it you know for 80 different reasons and some people grew up 
watching it with maybe a big loud family where they're yelling at it the entire time. Yeah, that's time. true. That could be a thing. Yeah, the yelling. Yeah, and Fair so enough. they bring and so they bring that to the movies. Their their experience of this event is so visceral. <laughs> they cannot help but go, why? Well, why are you doing that, Captain Kirk? Yeah, you know, that's or whoever. They yell. They yell out because they're used to watching movies that way. Maybe they're more interactive than I think. I just think if you're around a bunch of strangers, you curb that. You, you bring it down and you're like, well, maybe people don't need to hear me yelling. Why? Oh, Captain I think Kirk? so. I think if you're signing up yeah. to go to a movie, you're signing up to go to a movie. Yeah, I think I've established a family movie night on Fridays and I'm being a bit too. My son cannot shut up. He just wants, <laughs> they want to talk the whole time. I'm like, well, I'm worried that if I don't, we don't intervene, they're going to think that's normal. They're going to go out into the world and people are going to be like, Jesus, just we're trying. Yeah. It's not your turn to talk. And I feel like that's a lot of what we're going through right now. It's not your turn to film this event on your phone in front of me trying to watch it above you and your phone now. And that's well, where I'm, I mean, honestly, yeah. I feel like part of my real frustration about this pandemic stuff is the selfishness. I don't know if you feel it's this. Doesn't it feel the like the selfishness a less, yeah. of a child? But they're adults. We're all adults, most but of us. They are still emotionally <laughs> children. <laughs> yes. Yes. I agree. And this is why I withdraw. Cause I'm like, I don't want to live in a world of toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> but you knew and the baddest, meanest toddler was just the president yeah. of the United States. Yeah. And that's it. That's, that's emboldened toddlers and liars in a way that mm -hmm. we may never seemingly recover from. What a toddlers and liars. What a weirdly perfect storm of events to have the and this is across the cunt of the world rather just like the worst leadership at the worst possible time you hear about it all the time for the most part you know just people throwing up their hands anyway we're not going to solve all the world's world's problems today you and i baron uh no but, we're, we're not but we can get together yeah while we are t while we have the space yeah and talk about it yeah you know and commiserate <laughs> on the fact that we can't solve all of the world's problems right now. And you know what? Let's just get through today. Yeah. When's the last time you actually had a full bore kind of special? Uh, it's been a little while now, right? Uh, it has been. I think that the last, it was like uh, Two Dope Queens was probably my last television appearance. That's your last television. Yeah. I meant like an album or something like that. Yes. Um, it's been a while. Uh, I'm working on that. That's the thing that I'm going to do next. So I do have two albums out there, Raised by Cable and Black Existential Crisis. Yeah. Um, I did have a Comedy Central half hour uh, a couple years ago. It's out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, I just got word from Comedy Central that they're going to release New Negroes on YouTube. Oh, great. So full episodes. We have a streaming service up here uh, called crave i'll give them a little plug they they seem to have uh the people who own crave own canada's version of the comedy it, it's called the comedy network here which is yes our i know the comedy of, network yeah of course you would yeah yeah of course you would and you've been to jfl you know canada do you know canada what do you think yes, of when I you do. think of can <laughs> you met some edmonton people uh what do you think of when you think of canada exactly well i i have been in canada enough to know that uh it's not all the same that mm -hmm. the uh you know, Vancouver is very different than Toronto. It's very different than Montreal. It's very different than Calgary. You know, those are the main places I've been. Yeah. Uh, 
again, haven't had the honor of being to Edmonton yet. Um, there's a couple other places I would like to go. So I see the differences. Uh, I'm happy to go back to Vancouver. Vancouver is one of my favorite cities. Yeah. I do like that. Uh, I think, you know, BC or at least Vancouver is pretty chill. You know, I thought the weather was great and everyone in Toronto is walking really fast. Is that true? Really fast. Yeah. There's a lot of fast walkers. At least when I was there last time, I was like, whoa, is this a city? You know, Mm -hmm. if I'm in a neighborhood, unless it's the weekend, then it's slow. Yes. Are they Torontonians? Is that what they call themselves? That's, that's what they like to call themselves. Yeah. Sure. They stroll on the weekend. On the weekend, they like stroll during the week fast. (laughs) <laughs> often full of brunch and recovering from the uh friday nights probably there yeah yeah uh that's that's that that's an interesting perception we do have the perception up here that americans don't care that much about canadian politics history these sorts of things um mm. from your vantage point your education system was canada a topic of conversation discussion where your neighbors to the north where america's hat Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I know about Canada was from being in Canada or from Canadians. Right. So I only bring this up because we also have very similar problems, very similar problems to America's sort of fundamental problems when it comes to uh, racism and economic disparity. But I only bring this up not to be a bummer. I do think Americans <laughs> look at us like, oh, they're all so nice and they have health care. And we're trying to be like, no, we are, we're involved in a genocide of indigenous people and black people. <laughs> and we're not Mr. Rogers. Uh, as much as we want to, we do, uh, try to address these things, but I, uh, they're kind of largely symbolic things, I would say. Um, anyway, yeah. Welcome to Canada. I just wanted to tell you that we also suck. <laughs> I appreciate the warning, Vish. Um, and I, and I, and that is one of the biggest things that I've always noticed is the difference. At least Canada has talked. Like, I feel like the atrocities that Canada has committed, Canadians are willing to admit that they happened. Some of them, yes. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I've seen, you know, yeah. at least the government, you know, in a sense. But I feel like we can't agree on that stuff at all right now. And I feel like it's more polarized here, here in the States. We can't agree on history or which history should be taught right now. But this, the battle is who's going to control the narrative of the future. So what, what I'll tell you is what happens in America tends to slowly somehow trickle upwards to Canada. It filters upwards Mm. and we get, different kinds of reactionary populist kind of bullshit. And what we're starting to see, like right now, like if your neighbors, your neighbor to the South Florida, well, it's just a gong show of cultural erasure <laughs> and gaslighting, but it's mm-hmm. symptomatic of not only Ron DeSantis and, and all those kinds of folks and Trump. We're getting that now too. So it's mm-hmm. we, this real shift from, consciousness and hey why what if we just treat everyone with dignity and treat them decently and if they say they're offended by something we adjust our behavior uh, as opposed to telling them they're wrong to feel offended that's starting to happen here too so i asked earlier Mm -hmm. about your latest specials and stuff and what i was trying to get to is i can only assume based on the fact that you are a conscientious observational comedian that the state of the world is probably informing your current 
show. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Can you? I don't want you to do your show for me right now, but can you? <laughs> can you? For those who are going to see you in Canada or anywhere, are there topics even or things you want to allude to now about where you're coming from? Given, I assume everything we've just talked about over the last little while probably seeping its way in. But is there anything that you're? Is there a concept or something that you can sort of focus on right now? Um. I mean, I am talking about just what it means to to live in the world right now, you know, and get through the everyday. I am a, I've always been a very emotional person. I always kind of look at things through that lens. That's my theater school, you know, training. So, you know, like you would as an actor approach a role and say, well, what is the emotional core of this role and what is the intention and what does this person want? And what's in their way that prevents them from getting to that thing that they yeah. want. Sometimes it's material and outside of them. And sometimes it's internal. That's how I interpret this whole system. Right. You know, so there's an, yeah. I'm trying to detect there. We're having a financial recession because we're having an emotional recession. Yeah. And we're having an emotional recession because we're having a financial recession. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and, and that's something I appreciate about your work. I think you connect things in a really interesting way. I mean, from my observation. Uh, and I mean, I, and all my favorite comedians do this. We do this probably because of this. <laughs> and why are yeah. we doing this? You know, in an observational comedy sort of way. Like this, pointing out the absurdity of something is a critique of that thing. As much as we might laugh, I say this to my wife sometimes. I said it this morning. I'm like, am I too logical? Is this aggravating? <laughs> you know, we've been married a long time. Has this rubbed off on you? Do you feel like you're just like, well, I'm, I'm around a lot of cynical people, honestly, at work, and she counts me among them. But I'm like, my cynicism, I hope, and this is going to sound crazy, potentially, is purposeful. It's not just complaining about a thing to me. And saying, why would someone do this? It's, what if we try a different thing? Like, so does that make sense? Like purposeful cynicism. I've just made this up this morning. Is there something, to, <laughs> is there something, is there some connection to that in comedy? Like, yes, we're going to make fun of something, but ideally everyone leaving the theater is like, yeah, why do we do that? Why are we all doing yeah, this? I mean, that is every joke. Any joke is, <laughs> it is every you joke, know, <laughs> some kind of, revelation. Yes. You know, we're, we're all looking for some kind of truth, you know, about what the heck we're going through. So, I mean, every joke is like, did you ever notice, you know, that's what every joke that's is. The, that's the stereotype. Yes, of course. The yeah, but that's still what every single joke is. <laughs> it is. It is kind of that. Yeah. So within your sort Why of- are we us? That's every <laughs> yeah. joke. Why are we alive? What are we doing? Yeah. It is like philosophical, I suppose, not to get too, Anyway, I just want to convey to you that, A, I'm a fan of yours, but I also, as I hope you can tell, am a fan and somewhat of a student of stand-up and comedy. And I, it always, it's always meant something to me that people will think critically with some levity, but I don't discount the think critically part. And right now, we are in such a weird zone of who thinks they're thinking critically because that is a mm. weird part of this. Everyone thinks they're right based on the facts that someone has told them. And we don't have the same facts. And it's really fucking everything up. And I, <laughs> you know, people turn to, com I turn to comedians for some light in this 
kind of dark darkness. I have my whole life in times of doubt and like, what are we doing? <gasps> a joke can just flip that for me. Um, and so that's where I'm coming from. And all, all I'm getting at is I think your work has done that for me as well. It's made me think differently uh, and also have fun, which I think is part of a great part of living a life on earth. <laughs> does that, oh. does that resonate with you? Hell yes. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Well, it's, it's, that's, that's a, that's a huge compliment, man. I, I really appreciate oh, that. Thank you very much. No, no, it's my pleasure. So we have alluded to the fact you're, you're ostensibly on to talk about your JFL uh, Vancouver appearance. And I've asked you a little bit about your current show, What's next for you and any other projects you want to tell us about in terms of where to find you? Uh, oh, sorry. Platforms. By the way, I, I know I jumble all my questions into one. Within that, I've noticed you've been a bit quiet on Twitter. So I wanted to ask you about that in terms of uh, whether you want people to follow you on uh, things and find you on things these days, because you seem to have quieted down a little bit from my observation. Um, so, yes, the jumble is... What's coming up next that you want to tell us about and where can we learn more about you and your work? Well, um, one of the things is that uh, you're right. I have quieted down on Twitter. I don't mind follows on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, I decided to stay on it, um, but it has not become my primary yeah. you know, social network. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on post. <laughs> if you want to come follow me on post. I have post and hive uh, and mastodon and I don't touch them. I just got them in the panic and the great panic of 2022. And then I'm like, I was happy with just for my, for this show, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I was happy. Now I've got to do all times. Are broken. Yeah. And now I got to do all six of these seven of these things. I'm like, I don't even know what the point is. Uh, so I was like, maybe this reckoning is a chance for all of us to be. I'm done with all of it. I'm just done. Like maybe he killed all of it. By killing the one thing we were mostly all using. Anyway, well, sorry I mean, to interrupt you. No, yeah. but that's a big reason that I've quieted down because I am reevaluating what my position is on all of these different platforms because what they are since I've, you know, they've gone through different incarnations since I've been on them. So I need to reevaluate uh, the way to use them. And so I'm doing that, but I'm still out there. Um, I'd say the number one place that you can find me is baronvaughn.com. Okay. Can you hear that child? Can you hear a child? I thought it was a cat. That's a child? Okay, sorry. (laughs) Even with my parental ears, I'm like, oh, that's an animal. Maybe the sleep, the white noise machine's on. It's the rainforest. They cats sound that way because they they evolved to sound like babies or something. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Cats are awesome. I do like cats. Oh, you see it as awesome? I see it as conniving. No, I do. I think that's, I like their duplicity. I'm a fan. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that they're always tricking us. It's the us. positive uh, cynic in those kitties. I, I, I wanted to say real quick, if that is your child, congratulations. If it's not your child, you might have a problem. There's someone yes, in your is. house. Okay. <laughs> congratulations. That's great. I got two of those. Oh, you got two. How, uh, just making conversation. Five and three. Oh, okay. I got a uh, 11 and I want to say eight. I have 11 and eight. Yeah. <laughs> So fairly, I, I want to say that's good. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a Norm McDonald callback, but that's actually, I did pause for a second to be like, Ramona, uh, uh, her birthday and my birthday are December birthdays. I don't know why December birthdays are now starting to confuse me. Did we have a birthday? What's going on? How old are we? It's in a lost mm. zone of like, ah, we don't care. It's December. It's Christmas. We don't want to talk about your birthdays. Pandemic uh, has made time. Yes, that's true too. 11, in a very strange way. 11 and eight, five and three. Close, close range. I mean, yeah, that's three, three. Uh, they're almost four years apart, to be honest. But yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, yeah mine are about two, uh, two-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. No, congrats. I, I hope that's going okay. They are exhausting. I will be talking about them as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, good. So, uh, BaronVaughn.com for more info about you. Uh, any other projects or things coming up that uh, we can look out for? Yes. Um, I am on a new show that's uh, airing on Fox uh, called Accused. Oh. Um, I do not know where it is airing. Okay. In Canada, but I do know it's supposed to be on Hulu after it airs on Fox. Well, we have Fox up here, so if it's on Fox, we, we oh, can. unfortunately, Oof. sorry, we have both Fox News. Well, actually, you have to pay for Fox News with most cable packages. Uh, so I don't see it. I, I I get the other ones, but I don't have to pay for that one. I think I could. Anyway, I'm not going to. But yes, we do have regular Fox. So, uh, is there a day it's on or? I'm actually not sure what episode it is, but accuses a new drama on Fox. It's a an episodic show, so every single episode is a is a self contained story. Oh, I'm sorry, you have one performance, one role, uh, one role, oh, okay. one episode. Okay, great. With Whitney Cummings, oh. it is a story about comedy. But let me remind you, it is a drama. This show. Oh, and I think it's. Uh, I'm really excited to see it. I think it's going to really shock people. I hope so. You got to employ your drama chops as opposed to yes, your... indeed. Okay, good. All right. Well, let's leave it at that. We'll we'll try and track down this episode of Accused with Baron. And uh, you know, normally when I have musicians on or comedians who have albums out, I suggest we go out on a track. And in your case, you have records out, and I know they're a bit older. Uh, I don't mean to put you in memory jog territory. Would you permit us to go out on something from one of your albums? And if so, is there something that comes to mind? Wow. Uh, no, I leave it to you okay. to, uh, you know. Figure it out. I got to figure the, it out. Okay, I can do that. Whatever you wish. Well, maybe we'll go to something from Black Existential Crisis. Uh, hey. I alluded to the crickets bit. I believe that's, <laughs> as, as I recall, that's on that record. I think it is, yes. And we talked about white noise machines. Wait, that's not part of that. But we talked about the waking you up. Yeah, I think this works. Mm-hmm. We'll, I don't remember what that bit's called, but we're going to go to that and you'll get a little... Neither do I. It should be at the top of the album, like, <laughs> you... like, like in the top. People will get a sense of Baron uh, and, and your comedy from this is the main point and uh, go see Baron live. Baron, I uh, I know this was a little all over the place, but I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too and I wish you the best of luck in the future. As did I, Vish. Thank you very much for having me. And you know, when I come to Edmonton, we'll high five. Absolutely. Or we'll fist bump or uh, whatever it is that agoraphobes Keep do. Keep six feet apart. That's what Yeah, well, I, I'm still getting used to being a, a, a proper agoraphobe. So, But you can teach me. You'll teach me when you get here. That'll be great. Thank you so much, Baron. I really mean it. Thank you. Thank you. I'm an adult. I'm 35 years old, and this is how I dress now. <laughs> Apparently, I think being adult means looking like the principal at Breakdance High School, which is... <laughs> how I dress and if I play my cards right and keep these kids in line I'm gonna be professor R&B one day because I have opinions about black street that are not on the syllabus um 35 good age it's really sweet to beat Jesus by two years and Jews are also conflicted about me but also things have been good you know and uh I'm in an interesting place the other day because, uh, you know, I'm in an interesting place in my life. I had a conversation with an insect the other day. That's how you know. (laughs) When you talk uh, to bugs. And in my 30s, the conversation has changed because 
I grew up with insects, so from the 20s younger, if I saw a bug, it was like, <gasps> Jeremiah D. Cockroach, like I was ready for war. But now if I see an insect, it's kind of like, mm, you can stay, because um, no more energy, and uh, also I know now you actually need some insects on your side in life, especially if you want to make it through the motherfucking night, because when I moved into my apartment, there were nine spiders. I was like, what? I counted. I was like, nine spiders? That is ten too many. And I... <laughs> I responded by killing them all, which I felt great about for like a week, because that's how long it took for me to find out that the crickets had been waiting for that moment. Because at first I was mad. I'm like, why did it get so noisy in here? What's happening? And then I realized that I was their Abraham Lincoln and they had been emancipated. That was a celebration. That's not noise, it's gospel music. Because it was Juneteenth to the crickets as they came from corners I'd never even seen before. Just going, sweet freedom, our eight-legged masters have been vanquished. How can we praise our savior? I've got it, boys. How's about we put on a damn concert every morning starting at 1 a.m.? But boss, he'll never sleep again. Exactly. He'll be awake to know we love him. Let's start. And a one, and a two, and a... a.m. 4 a.m. 4 and some people have asked me, well, why didn't you kill the crickets? Couple reasons. First, genocide doesn't fix all your problems. Secondly, they match my carpet and I couldn't see them. And thirdly, I do not necessarily appreciate the music they play, but I respect the dream. Like those, those crickets want to be somebody. That's why they play that song. It's hard to crush an insect that tries to participate. You know what I mean? Tries to put something into the world. A cricket couldn't bring myself to do it. A firefly? Could you ever smash a firefly? No, their tails are powered by the dreams of the innocent. And then a bee. A bee is one of the noblest creatures on the face of the planet. You can't smash a bee. Every time you have seen a bee, you have been that bee. Because that bee is in the middle of a double shift and stress the fuck out. And we've all been there. That bee is behind on pollination. That bee is behind on making honey. And when they come across you, they don't have time for your bullshit. That's why they levitate in your face, because you're in the way. They're like, you're not a flower. What's happening? What's going on right now? You're standing in the middle of a crowded door. Excuse me, 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 excuse me. That's a bee's life every day. But a wasp can go to hell, because... They don't do shit. They do not pollinate. They do not make honey, but they still have stingers. Oh, no. No, a wasp is unemployed with the weapon, and that, that is a thug. No ideology and armed. And when you see too many, it's time to move. And I did. I moved on up. I moved to a new... Uh, a place, and now my only concern is my neighbor's parrot. <laughs> That's how you know you move up when you have exotic animal problems. Like, my neighbor has a pet parrot. 
And that's one of two things I know about him. The other thing is that he hates mayonnaise. I have never met this man. But he must have said that enough on the phone for the parrot to say only two things. Hello? No mayo! Every day at noon in my building, you can hear a parrot say, Hello! Hello! No mayo! It's going to get you far, parrot. It's going to get you far. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, you just heard uh, Bugs from the 2016 album Black Existential Crisis by my guest today, Baron Vaughn. Baron, thank you so much for appearing on this, the 754th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcast. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it all over, you've looked under the bed, under the pillow, under your shoes, and you can't find it, uh, well, that's just, first of all, relax. Stop looking over under everything it's it's going to be fine uh if you want to find things you can't find on your regular platforms and learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit vishkana.com you can also like creative control on facebook follow the show on twitter at vish creative or you can follow me directly on twitter and on instagram at vishkana also please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast and provide the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into it each and every week. Uh, $6 American or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content uh, that uh, no one else gets. You get the uh, episodes earlier than everybody else, the the free ones. And then there's also uh, stuff that I dig up from my archive of uh, interviews I've been doing uh, for like the last 20 years. Uh, some of that time obviously preceding the 10 years I've been working on this podcast so there's some interesting treats there and I try to tend to that uh, but mostly like I say you're just supporting the work that goes into this show each and every week and it's greatly greatly appreciated it uh, it does honestly keep me going I, I appreciate it I have uh, other work of, of course and I, I can't rely just on this podcast to make a living although gosh that would be fun but hey what are you going to do Anyway, please, if you want to learn more about uh, how to support the show, go to patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again for doing that. Speaking of thanks, I want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their long-time in-kind support for this show. 
thanks as always to Jim Guthrie, who's uh, been a longtime friend of mine since 1996. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for being my friend and letting me use some of your music. You, you all out there, you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Baron Vaughn. I hope you appreciated our conversation and feel intrigued to check out Baron's work. He's a very dynamic guy, as you might have just heard. So, Baron, thank you. Thank you once again. Everyone else, thank you for listening to this. As I say, thank you for subscribing to the podcast or following it and telling your friends all about it and spreading the word about creative control. Thank you so much. All right, I'm going to go. I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.